Greetings, Cap fans, and welcome to episode 108 of the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Verbonis, and as always, I'm joined, some would say, I don't know how many, but you know, some would say. A handful. Yeah. Uh, the best gosh darn co-host out there, that would be Bob Lucius. Oh, Bob. Confucius say, virginity like bubble, one prick, all gone. <laughs> oh, Rick, I didn't know you were a philosopher. I am at heart. At heart, okay. I, I am at heart, Bob. But uh, yeah, you know, you know Confucius, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, he is, yeah. yeah, great philosopher. Uh-huh. Uh, of the of the last century or two, I don't know when right. was he around. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, back in the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but there been made, webs. there have been made jokes about things like you know Confucius say right. right. Uh, yeah. But I I thought that was appropriate because we are going to wax poetic and philosophical discussion today uh-huh. uh, because we have on guest. Professor Dr. Mark D. White, author of The Virtues of Captain America, uh, to bring him back uh, from, you know, we had him back on episode 30 and we thought we'd bring him back. And um, (laughs) one of the reasons we wanted to bring him back, because we were watching the uh, She-Hulk Disney Plus series. And then on the first episode, I think it was, they had a uh, end credit scene and there's... uh, Jennifer Waters sitting with, uh, you know, her cousin and they're talking about whether or not Steve Rogers is a virgin. So um, what better Confucius say than the one I gave? Right. Everything comes together, Rick. It's like, it's like, like you got that board with all the thumb, <laughs> the, some, what are they, thumbtacks in it with the strings connecting things. And, uh-huh. yep, beautiful. Well done. You don't want to see the inside of my mind. Uh, it is, <laughs> it is a dangerous. It is a dangerous thing. It's dangerous. Uh, do you have any Confucius says uh, I, favorite jokes? I, I don't. Yeah, no, not off the top of my head, unfortunately. No? Yeah. Oh. Put me on the spot. Yeah. Oh, uh, one of my favorites. I'm trying to remember now. Is um, what is it? Uh, Confucius say, man hurrying through airport turnstile is going to Bangkok. <laughs> that is my favorite right there. <laughs> Only because I bet there's airport turnstiles on the way to Bangkok. Yeah, uh, it's very accurate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. So, yeah, we're going to be getting to our guest, Mark White, uh, here in a little bit. And that's going to be a real fun conversation. Um, Hey, Bob, uh, we should, and, and we, you know, we had a bunch of people, uh, you know, call in, write in um, uh, some messages on, on which questions we should ask, right? Uh-huh. We, we posted the, 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 the question out there, like what philosophical questions should we ask Mark White, our next guest? We posted it on our uh, Captain America comic book fans Facebook group. So if you haven't been on that Facebook group, 
It's a great group. I, I highly recommend just go on. Listen, if you're looking for something positive in your life, I mean, we know social media is can can be filled with, let's just say, not the most positive things, right? I mean, you know, there's people with their soapboxes and they're talking about this and that and they're arguing and whatever. Not our group, Bob. No, sir. Nope. Not in our group. Not allowed. Yep. Better things to do. We have a no negativity rule and we, we, we're pretty good about enforcing it. Our group is only about, you know, the fellow love of Captain America and, and the nostalgia that goes along with that. Uh, and so uh, if you haven't been on there, highly recommend that you check that out. Yeah. Yeah. Share what you love. What's that? I said, share what you love and respect what others love. Right. Exactly. Cause otherwise, what would cap do right right yeah. and that's the other thing oh so man, what would cap do so we do have for those out there who um who've been listening and you've been you've been like hmm should i should i become one of those patrons that rick and bob talks about uh, i'm gonna tell you right now bob uh guess what you know that that uh, case of 100 what would cap do challenge coins that we had made i just opened up the very last package wow yeah wow so uh if you were if you've been hemming and hawing and you're like i don't know 4.99 a month that's like a cost of a comic book Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess the entertainment value I get from these guys is probably worth a comic book. Well, then get off your butt and sign up and be a patron because, and then after three months, we will send you a What Would Cap Do challenge coin along with other, a bunch of perks, including you have the opportunity to submit uh, a question to our next guest. And Bob, guess who our next guest is going to be? Because uh, this, this one is, uh, coming out November 2nd, you know, we always do the first Wednesday of every month, right? The first Wednesday of December. Should I tell them who the guest is going no, to be? No, don't do it. Don't. Okay, I won't. Because that is something also as a perk from one of our guests, our patrons. You get to find out who our guest is going to be before anyone else. So I, I, I would do a disservice to our patrons by doing that right now. So, but I will tell you, can I, can I tell them kind of what, the care that the person does maybe like throw a hint or something yeah this person writes has, comics huh <laughs> what'd you say this person writes or draws comics okay they're a writer i'm gonna just say that right now it's a writer involves with captain america let you figure it out from there and so some it's, of, it's a it's a it's a process of elimination, right? Mm. So you just eliminate who's been on the show already, and there's probably what three, four left. <laughs> what, do you do you have a guest in your room? What the hell is? <laughs> I do. My cat is is in the room with me. Uh, and this is really this is really professional. Bob. I, I is, yeah yeah you yeah. you you couldn't have handled this beforehand, perhaps. He uh, it calms me down. It's my he's my therapy cat. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> the stress of this show is sometimes more than I can bear. So, uh... oh, I see. <laughs> you're you're like uh, you're like uh, 
Dr. Evil, right? You just walk this, around with a cat in your hand. This you know, freaking petting. show, Rick. Stressing me out. God. Toss me a bone. All right. Um, yeah, so uh, check out the Facebook group. Um, but if you want to become a patron, just go to CaptainAmericaComicBookFans.com. And then uh, there's a little uh, place on there where you can sign up and, and click a link and, and go to our anchor page and, and sign up. And listen, we really appreciate it. We're not, we're not getting rich off this show by any means. This is just covering our expenses. Um, but I'm going to tell you right now, we made 100 challenge coins and we're getting into the last batch. That's that's incredible, Rick. You know, and those things are beautiful, right? And uh, and I don't think we had any. I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll get more. There's a different design or something at some point. But you know, these things are one of a kind. Well, one of a hundred. I don't. Of a kind. I don't know, Bob. I, I'm kind of feeling like you know we're going to move on to something else. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. I think this should have been. This is a limited edition. A hundred. You know. What do they say at the mint? You know, a hundred uh, stamped or whatever they say. I don't know what they say. Uh, struck. struck. What, was, struck. what were those commercials? Remember when we were kids? Uh, it's the Franklin Mint. There you go. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, those, 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 it, this is one of those plates that you, uh, do you ever go to somebody's house that has those plates hung up on the wall? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Display them on the wall. Yeah. Usually there's wood paneling behind those plates, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, <laughs> the dark mahogany wood panel. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, beautiful veneer. Uh, all right. Um, okay, so let's just you know what we, we we've been keeping Professor White in the green room a little too long. I say we get to our guest. What do you think? Yeah, let's get him before he eats all the snacks. <laughs> all right, Rick. We have a really special guest tonight, right? I mean, uh, how many return guests have we had? I. I don't know, Bob. We Maybe have, two. Really, two? Okay. Well, certainly, uh, I thought I thought this might have been uh, our only return guest. Most don't uh, want to come back. Well, that's that's what I figured too. So it was a surprise to me when you were able to convince Dr. Mark White to return to the show tonight. Now, if our listeners remember from his uh, previous meeting with us here on the Captain America Comic Book Fans podcast. He is a uh, department chair for philosophy at the City University of New York's College of Staten Island, where he teaches courses about the intersections among economics, philosophy, and law. Now, many people who are, of course, uh, come on to the Facebook group know Mark White is the author of several books, including the ever-favorite The Virtues of Captain America, Modern Day Lessons of Character from a World War II Superhero. In addition to a list of authored books, chapters, journal articles, and popular media articles and op-eds addressing a wide range of philosophical matters, Professor White has also been a frequent contributor and editor in the Blackwell Philosophy and Pop Culture series, which introduces readers to basic philosophical concepts using the movies, TV shows, comic books, and music that they love. Now, Dr. White also publishes several blogs, such as The Comics Professor, his personal blog for comic commentaries, The Virtues of Captain America, his online companion uh, blog for the book of the same title, and he publishes hundreds of blog posts covering 
every Tales of Suspense, Captain America story, hundreds of Captain America issues, the entire first volume of The Invaders, the Avengers run from issue four up through 269, as well as cap appearances and dozens of other titles along the way. So if anybody, Rick, is qualified to talk about philosophy and Captain America and that intersection, it's Dr. Mark White. So Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me back, guys. No, absolutely. We And we highly encourage our listeners to go check out episode 30 if you haven't already, or, or go listen to it again, as it was a year and a half ago, and you probably need a refresher. In that episode, we, we talk a lot about your book, The Virtues of Captain America, and we talk about several topics. And But today, we thought we, we would want to chat about some new ones. So, But before we do, I, I have to ask, is the rumor true? Are you working on a sequel? <laughs> yeah yes the, the all the internet buzz is is correct i i am uh i'm working on a revised and expanded second edition of the virtues of captain america it was it was really just a, a whim i was talking with my editor at wiley about something else and i i just remembered that the original book came out in 2014 uh in time for uh the winter soldier and I realized, you know, now it's it's eight years on. It'll be 10 years in 2024. And I just mentioned to him, I didn't think it would fly. I just said, hey, you know, it's going to be 10 years for the virtues of Captain America. And lots happened in the last 10 years for the character uh, in the comics, if not also the movies. It'd be nice to do a revised second edition. And these kind of pitches usually don't work because it's, it's a very, you know, uh, fiscally conservative press and they don't like taking chances on things but i was surprised to hear that they were happy with the sales of the first book and they said well there's a new movie coming out in 2024 isn't there and i honestly hadn't thought about that but i'm like yeah there's that too i was just focused on the 10th anniversary of my own book i wasn't even thinking of the <laughs> next movie but i said oh yeah yeah that too sure yeah that's what i meant and um he he said yeah sure that's great get to work i was like wow i I, I really didn't think he'd go for it, but uh, to his credit, he did. So, yeah, I've, I haven't really dug into it yet because I've got a couple more projects to finish before then. But I'm really looking forward to um, I, I plan on going through the entire book and just, you know, improving things and adding new examples where they're relevant, you know, from the last 10 years of stories, because so much has happened over, over the last 10 years. Um, I think I, it was just near the end of the Remender run. I think he'd just come back from Dimension Z. Uh, when mm. when I finished the book, I worked in a couple of those recent issues, and uh, Jonathan Hickman was starting his his Avengers runs, Avengers and New Avengers, working up to Time Runs Out and the whole uh, Secret Wars reboot. And I, you know, I didn't even get to talk in the book about Sam Wilson's turns as Captain America, which will definitely be a, an entirely new chapter in this book. And, of course, the uh, Secret Empire um, event, debacle, well, I, disaster, I just, whatever we want to call it. I just heard our, I heard so many listeners cringe. <laughs> well, I mean, those, those are the two major developments mm -hmm. in, in the comics for Captain America since 2014 when the first book came out so uh secret empire will, there'll probably be a, a section because most of that wasn't even really the steve rogers we know and love but i'll i'll talk about that and you know how how it took him in a different direction and kind of explored this 
uh, fascist alternative to Steve Rogers and how he, he came back. And so there will be a few pages about that, but there's going to be, you know, a whole chapter devoted to Sam Wilson, both how he, you know, first became Captain America in the shadow of Steve Rogers when Steve Rogers was aged at the end of the Remender run. And then uh, when he decided not to be Captain America again during Secret Empire, and then, of course, the recent development where he became Captain America once again alongside Steve Rogers in the United States of Captain America miniseries. So, and of course, he is going to be the star of the next movie. So it, it works well. I get to address, you know, the first book was focused solely on Steve Rogers. I didn't even talk about Bucky's short time as Cap very much, well, much less John Walker or anyone else. But this time, uh, I, I really want to explore how Sam Wilson dealt with kind of this taking on this mantle of Captain America. And you can't do that without comparing yourself to Steve Rogers, but he was still set on doing it in a, in a, in a different way, a much more positive way, a much more assertive way with respect to his concerns as Sam Wilson, as opposed to Steve Rogers, as a more contemporary man, obviously as a black man. You know, he looks at things differently and he looks at what Captain America means differently. And I think that's going to be a great contrast, you know, not, not in terms of opposites, but just the different way of approaching what it means to be Captain America, as opposed to the way Steve Rogers did it for most of the time. Yeah, I mean, you, you bring up so many good points. I mean, the last 10 years, when you really think about it, has been just so many different stories for you to explore you know you you touched on you know some big ones obviously with sam wilson and and the hydra cap um and, and you know i i joke about the crit right but <laughs> but when you know when you were on last time we we talked about that actually pretty extensively yeah. you know that that story run um but you know it's definitely worth exploring it's definitely worth talking about um you know it, it talks about you know uh what if Right. If you take, right. you know, the Steve Rogers that we know and and um, and and you brought up a really good point in the last time, too, was, um, you know, Steve Rogers superpowers is, is his decision making, I think, is what you said. Right. And, judgment. and yes. Yeah. Right. But if but if that is, you know, corrupted, if you will, by a different upbringing, what will happen? And it's so it's an interesting you know, uh, debate, you know, to have. So I think there's so many great things for you to talk about in this next book. And it sounds pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I was, like I said, I was almost shocked that it worked, you know, my just throwing pitches out there. I mean, I, I do this occasionally and usually they just land with a thud, but this one didn't land. It, it, it took off. And well, hopefully your editor's not listening right now <laughs> and hearing your secrets behind pitches. No, I, I don't think there's anything bad about it. I'm I'm sure he he knew I was surprised because you know, like I said, authors you know throw these ideas out with editors, and usually they very you know common you know with a lot of common sense say, well, that won't work for this reason, or the market's not going to support it for that reason. But I was just I was I was you know happily surprised that he was satisfied with the sales of the book, especially around the time that movies were released. So mm -hmm. he's, he saw the movie coming and I, I actually wasn't thinking about that, like I said, but it all, it all worked together. It all came together. So I'm very, very excited to work on that. And um, that, that I'll be working on that for about the next year alongside other things. 
So and it'll, it'll I mean, come out a few months before the Captain America four movie. Mark, you're sure he was listening? Because sometimes when I'm I want something, I wait till my wife's on the phone talking to somebody else, and then I ask her the question when she's like saying yes to somebody else on the phone, just so I could say yeah. So he wasn't on the phone, or he actually said the yes to this? Yeah. Yeah, so I was surprised because, I mean, at first he, he sent me an email, said, well, let me look into it. And I'm like, OK, that'll be it. You know, I'm, not, I'm never going to hear about it. Anymore. And just <laughs> like, I think, I think yeah. the next day he got back to me and said, wow. you know what? You know, the, the sales actually look really good again around, especially around movies. So, yeah, I think this is a good idea. Let's go with this. Well, I, I think, you know, we we deserve a mention, Rick, because I think we. We probably sold six or seven of those books just in the Captain America Facebook group. <laughs> uh, yeah, God, God knows there's a link, uh, and there will, there will be one in in this podcast notes as well. Yeah. Uh, well, that that's pretty exciting. Um, I mean, there's so many different stories too that you can explore, and, and I know you go outside of just the Captain America stories, right? So you also look at the Avengers and things like that. Um, did you happen to read, because we explored this a few a few episodes ago, did you happen to read the story of um, where S- Steve Rogers was in She-Hulk from, I want to say it was 2014, and it was like three issues where this was at the end of the Remender run, and, and Steve's old, he's aged, Oh, and, right. And gets, when Charlie Soule was writing She-Hulk, Yes, right? and he gets yeah. Jennifer to uh, represent him in court. Uh, a, such a fun story because mm-hmm. and, and, and it and explored two versions of Steve, and neither were Captain America. It was the older, depowered Steve, and then it was the the young, pre-serum Steve, Like, but only by a few weeks. And so it, it had like two versions of that character. And uh, I don't know. I, I if you had a chance to read that, I, I would love to get your feedback on. It. I did, but it's I haven't reread that in a long. I read it when it came out because that was a great run of She Hulk. But uh, I, I don't remember it that well. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. But that's definitely on the rereading list. I mean, I had you know the first thing I did when I signed the contract for the book, and believe me, I made sure I signed the contract for the book. Is you know just put you know just off the top of my head, make a list of all the things I had to reread. You know, like it's not rereading the first 50 years of Cap like I did for the first book, but this last 10 years is quite a packed 10 years, Mm -hmm, you know, between both Steve and Sam. Because, you know, not only was Sam in several runs of Captain America, he was also in the Avengers for a while. He was with the Mighty Avengers before Secret Wars. And, you know, um, between the two of them, there's an incredible amount of comics to read. But I, that, that's that's really the best part of doing these books, though. It's just getting to revisit these stories and think about them a different way, especially if I've read them already, like I've read all these already, hmm. and go through them and really get to peel the onion and go you know go deeper into the stories. Hmm. So when you when you read these as a professor of philosophy, um, do you do you take a look at some of them uh, and say, how would this particular ph- philosopher? interpret this versus this particular philosopher the way they would interpret yeah do you do you ever consider that no that's that's really not how i do it i i usually go through and just say you know whatever he's doing here reminds me of this philosopher or whatever this character says reminds me of something this philosopher would say or reminds me of this debate or this argument so, you know, like the most common one to find in, in comic books is the, the trolley problem, you know, where you've got the, the, the trolley with five passengers on it and it's about to crash 
but you can divert the trolley, but it'll kill an innocent person on the other track. Mm-hmm. And there's just so many superhero stories where the superhero can save a lot of people, but at the cost of some other disaster. And so, you know, I'll just be reading a story and I'll say, okay, oh, this is another trolley problem, you know, because it's such an obvious moral dilemma to put a superhero in. So, you know, or I'll see, you know, a dilemma with lying or I'll see an, uh, an instance where someone explicitly says, you know, I, I, I'd love to go. I'd love to, to pursue a relationship with this person, but my duty as a superhero takes precedence or I can't put this person into danger. And these are all very typical moral conflicts that we talk about in moral philosophy. So that, that's really the way I approach it. And sometimes some of those will, will invoke a conflict between two philosophers, but that, that would come later. Yeah, it, it's, it's always fun to think about, uh, you know, putting yourself in a different mindset like that. So um, it's interesting. And, and so before we get into philosophical questions, let's get a technical one out of the way. Um, we, one, one of our uh, members of the the Captain America comic book fans Facebook group, uh, Matthew Glover, he asked, uh, he says, an, an important part of academic scholarship is citing credible sources. And he says, my question is, when it comes to citing comic books as source materials, do you find it difficult to navigate all the numberings and renumberings as well as the different volumes? So so let's talk about that. How How difficult is it to cite references? For example, a lot of times when Bob and I are chatting, chatting about a subject, you know, I'll, I'll recall Cap said or, or did a specific thing, but I can't exactly recall the exact issue. And, and do you have a, a great reference finder or do you have some innate rain man ability? Like, how, <laughs> how do you how do you remember this stuff? Actually, no, I'm a horrible geek. Because, you know, when I go on podcasts like this one, I think even with my first appearance, I was blanking on on the issue where Cap uh, shoots the ultimatum agent. It was 322 or 323. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and but I, I blank on that stuff all the time. So like when I'm on uh, a, a Thor podcast or a Cap podcast or a Batman podcast and I'm always like, oh, there was that issue or that story where Batman fought that guy and said that thing and that thing happened and. You know, I'm. I always think of the the Simpsons episode with. Uh, uh, I think the the writer of Radioactive Man appears at the comic book store, and all these fans show up, and they're saying, you know, Radioactive Man has always been right-handed. But in issue 112, he signed a, a <laughs> signature with his left hand. Was this an alternate version of Radioactive Man? The writer's just like, who are these insane nuts? Mm-hmm. And I I just I don't have the memory for those for those details, which I realize a, a, a good comic book geek should have. Mm-hmm. So uh, I take lots of notes. I mean, when I'm actually doing one of these books, I take lots of notes. And of course, my blog now is a great resource as far as I've gotten in the blog up to 1993 now. But also the the Marvel Wiki. I, it's not it's not an official Marvel resource, but it's part of a whole set of wikis uh, about different about different um, fandoms. There's a DC one mm-hmm. and a Marvel one and a Buffy the one and a Breaking Bad one and everything. But this is an incredibly it's 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 like it it's like the official Marvel index, except it's not official. So it, it breaks down every story and who appears in it. And you can click on the character and see what you know what they did next, what they did last. And so I'm always when I especially when I'm writing the blog posts, I'm I'm always on that Marvel wiki just checking things and and you know double checking things and finding out where characters appeared before. So I use a lot of online resources for that. 
but also to the question of just citing things, I'm a citation geek. That's actually, I'm the rare academic that, that loves formatting references at the end of a paper or a book. And when I've edited volumes, that, that's when, you know, I usually when you edit a volume and you have people contributing chapters to it, most editors will force them to use the referencing system and get their citations all in order. I'm like, you know, do whatever you want. I'll get them in order because I actually like doing that. It's, 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 it's a part of the process where I don't have to be necessarily creative or innovative. I can just, you know, kind of get into the zone and do it. It's kind of like meditative almost. Yeah, it's mindless, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah. I love mindlessness. Uh, forget mindfulness. I like mindlessness. So, um, no, I mean, the, the the weird thing is, I mean, he Matthew, right, was his yes. name? Mm -hmm. he, he's exactly on point, though, when it comes to the renumberings. Because when, when you know, lately with all the going back to legacy numberings and then the next volume launch it with number one and then it'll go back to legacy numbering at an anniversary issue or whatever. That's where I, I really differ with the way that most places like the Marvel Wiki do it is, you know, let's say, well, it was the Brubaker run after after. Uh, fear itself when when Steve Roger when Bucky you know quote unquote died again mm -hmm. and Steve Rogers took up the shield again uh, and then I think they had a uh, they had a like a 60th anniversary issue and a 600 issue and they had a bunch of anniversary right. issues and then they went back to the legacy numbering and I remember Brubaker's run I think was volume five and some of the some of the databases when it went back to legacy numbering 600 or 600 whatever. Um, they, they would bounce it back to volume one, but that just mm -hmm. messes with my head because, you know, I, I don't care where numbers go. I want volume numbers to keep progressing. So when I, when I, you know, if you look at the references in my book, I, I always, you know, when it returns to legacy numbering, I maintain the same volume number, you know, because otherwise, because I mean, especially the way I order my references is captain America volume, this number, this, and if I if if I kick it back to volume one when it goes back to legacy numbering, then I have to reorder those, and I like those to be in chronological order. <laughs> so that's like I said, I'm a referencing geek, so I, I take this stuff very seriously. And usually uh, at the end of my books, I know I did this with the Captain America book. I have a reading guide mainly to help new readers understand all the different volumes of the book and the way the numbering changed and everything. And I try to explain this to perhaps people that, that read my book, maybe they read some of the comics and now they want to go back and read more of them and mm -hmm. read more extensively just so they can make sense of, you know, when someone says Captain America number 19, you know, that wasn't the first volume because the first volume started with 100. It's got to be volume two or three or, you know, some of them mm -hmm. may not have made it to 19 or some, you know, it's just, it's so confusing. And when I did my recent Thor book, uh, that was perhaps even more confusing because recently every time a new volume of Thor is launched, the title has been different. You know, it's usually Captain America every time, mm -hmm. uh, except for Sam's title, I think was all new Captain America. Uh, or they have Steve Rogers, Captain America, and Sam Wilson, Captain America. And of course, now they have Symbol of Truth and Sentinel of Liberty. But with Thor, it seems that every time they, they relaunch Thor, it either be Thor, Thor, God of Thunder, Mighty Thor, Thor's back, you know, it just, and then every once in a while, they'd go back and use an, an old name. So then it'd be volume two of that name, but it would come after three volumes of a different name. Uh, oh, gosh, it's just... <laughs> 
And I, I love trying to make sense of this and saying, you know, how would I, how would I try to make sense of this to a new reader or maybe a, a reader that just got completely confused by it. And it helps me keep track of it too. So when I'm you know, writing the book, it helps uh, to, for me to keep it all straight. It is so confusing. I mean, it's, you know, DC does this much, much less. But, you know, Marvel just loves to relaunch books with new number ones. Yeah, you're talking to a, a former comic shop owner. So, uh, you know, for me to put the trade paperbacks, you know, I would do them in chronological order so yeah. that people could, you know, start here, end up there. But the volumes don't always match up. And, you know, so I, I hear you. Um, you know, we had um, current Captain America editor Alana Smith on the show. Mm. And we asked her about this. We asked her about numbering and everything like that. And, and, and I do love that marvelfandom.com. I use that That's a lot. It. That's it. Yeah. yeah I, I use that a lot for the podcast. I use it a lot for the Facebook group for, for my posts and things. And uh, I asked her about that. I said, what about, you know, is this, what is symbol of truth and sense of liberty? Are they considered volume 11? Consider blah, blah. And she goes, Marvel doesn't look at the numbers. We don't do that because there came a point, like I, like you said, Mark, that somewhere along the line, maybe it was that Brew Baker run where it was, you know, legacy numbering. Blah, blah, blah. And she goes, "We as Marvel, we just refer to it as Captain Years. America, twenty twenty two. Yeah, nineteen sixty eight. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and so that's what they do." So but uh, see that here's the uh, here's why I don't do that though, and I know some other people. I have a I have a friend who just wrote a fantastic book about the science of Daredevil, explaining his how his senses work and everything. And when she uh, when she references books, she uses those dates, and I mean she does a fantastic job, very detailed, very accurate. But I just really it, it bothers me when I see Daredevil number three hundred and twelve, and then see nineteen sixty three in parentheses. Mm -hmm. I say, well, the volume started in 1963, but this book was probably in the 90s. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I think about, I'm, I'm trying to think in my head when this issue happened in the 1963 just kind of messes with the way I think about that. Other, It may make perfect sense to other people, you know, but it just, for me, I'd rather have the volume number and then include either the year or the month of the year of the actual publication so I can make sense because, you know, you know, if I'm talking about the 50, 60 year history of a character and I, you know, I, I just cite a book. I also want to mention about when that happened. So the reader can kind of place this. Was it early cap? Was it late cap? You know, whatever. That, that's just my preference, but that's why I do it. Uh, like I said, I'm a geek about these things. I, I take <laughs> this very seriously. So you do a little rain man in you. I can, I can yeah, sense yeah, a little it. bit. Yeah. A little, little bit, a little bit, a little bit. <clears throat> you know, it's funny when you were talking about that uh, Simpsons episode, uh, it totally reminded me of a 1980s Saturday Night Live. William Shatner was a guest host and he goes on and he's talking uh, at a Star Trek convention and he's up on the stage and he's people, he people peppering with questions in episode 14 when so-and-so did this. And he's, he's, you know, he's getting all those similar questions, right? Yeah. And he just, he, he kind of just, he just goes, people, get a life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the promoter has to come up and like whisper in his ear. And, and uh, oh, sorry. That was the uh, evil Spock from episode such and such. <laughs> yeah. All the fans are like, oh, okay. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs>
Bob, time oh. to get philosophical. All right, yeah, let's dig in a bit, shall we, Mark? So, um, you know, the first thing I want to ask you, and, and you and you touched on this briefly um, a little bit ago, this idea of of Captain America as as a mantle, right? It's a it's an important role, uh, a set of responsibilities that that can be passed from one person to another. So, I mean, it was uh, obviously passed uh, from Rogers to Naslin to Mace, and then eventually to Burnside. And of course, all retcons, but and then yeah. back to Rogers, right? And then who either surrendered it or had it taken away on multiple occasions. It was passed to Walker, Barnes, and Wilson. And in different universes, such as we see in uh, the Captain America core miniseries, we see that that mantle is borne by others uh, at different times and in other places. So it does seem to be a mantle that can be taken up and taken off. But some argue quite quite passionately there is only one true cap. So, you know, which is it? Is it one or the other or paradoxically both? Yeah, exactly. I was going to say it's paradoxically both. It's kind of like how light is a particle and a wave at the same time. You know, because obviously Steve Rogers established who Captain America is. And, you know, no matter who is Captain America, either alongside Steve Rogers or replacing Steve Rogers, you know, it'll always be, to some extent, in the shadow of Steve Rogers. And we saw this with Bucky struggling to to be Captain America after Steve Rogers, quote-unquote, died. And, you know, Sam doing it the first time after Steve was aged. And now Sam has, 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 has accepted more his unique identity as Captain America. And, but still, the readers get to enjoy the, the contrast between how the two men fill the role. And, you know, so I, I think... I like to think of it in terms of something that Steve Rogers often says is that anybody can be Captain America if they believe in the dream and they believe in the principles and the ideals. And, you know, uh, I, 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 I imagine we talked about this in the first, uh, my first appearance here, the Captain America, the chosen miniseries, um, and how he, he kind of, you know, uses the last essence of his life force to kind of, you know, enable anybody to become captain america and you see people from all walks of life and all ages and races and genders and you know just becoming a hero in their own right even if they don't have the the shield and the cowl so it's this idea that that i that's why i think it's both and you know i think that anybody can be captain america but at the same time they'll all be doing it in the shadow of steve rogers Mm -hmm. Even though Steve Rogers himself would say, "No, you're great." You know, the, all the all the new, all those new characters that were introduced in the United States of Captain America miniseries. You know, Steve just automatically accepted each of them. He didn't say, "Hey, what are you doing?" And you know, acting like me or anything. He said, "Hey, welcome to the club." You know, this is great. The more people that 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 serve the dream like I do, I don't even think he considered it as you know they're imitating me or you're trying to be me. You're trying to be Captain America. I'm also Captain America. You know, welcome to the club. Thank you for joining the cause. And, you know, even though he's willing to expand membership to anybody, at the same time, everybody is going to acknowledge that he's kind of the first. And, and like, like you said, if there can only be one, it would be him. But he's the last person that would say there can only be one. And, you know, he, he readily gave it up to Sam when he aged. And he obviously welcomed Sam back in the same miniseries. And I'm sure he'd welcome Bucky back if Bucky wanted to do it again 
permanently instead of just doing it for that one-off appearance. But Bucky was never comfortable with it anyway, which is also a nice contrast because for some reason I didn't talk about Bucky very much at all in the first book. So as long as I'm going to be talking about Sam at length in this book, in the revision, the second edition, I think I'm also going to put in a little more about Bucky because I think with the first book, I was really trying to focus on Steve. And since the only, you know, the only legitimate successor was Bucky for that very short time, it didn't seem necessary to put him in. But now if I'm going to talk about Sam at length, I think I'm going to also put a little bit about Bucky in there. I think a lot of, a lot of fans would like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause his, his arc of being Captain America was one of, you know, him trying to atone for himself. But as you said, he was you know living in a huge shadow of of Steve Rogers and right. that was a difficult thing for him to do. So all right, so let's get back to that though. So what I'm trying to hear is because as you said, right? Marvel Marvel has two ongoing Captain America series, right? There's two characters carrying that mantle at the same time, right? Steve Rogers and Sam Wilson. Can there be two ca- Captain Americas at the same time? Apparently so, because, I mean, there's two Spider-Men, there's two Hawkeyes, you know, there's, and, you know, certainly in DC, there's any number of Flashes, Green Lanterns, and even two Batman going around, two Superman. I mean, you know, I I think part of it is, is, you know, kind of going outside of story and taking a more meta approach to it. It's, It's the fact that it's very hard to launch new characters these days. So it's it's easier for the comic book companies to just just kind of branch off characters. They used to be you'd have Spider Man and Spider Woman and Spider Girl and Spider Ham and you. Yeah. you but now right. you actually just just have different versions of one core character. You don't even have they're not even spinoff characters anymore. It's just you know another character with the same name, and that allows them to take this core concept and kind of you know tested out with you know people again of different races or genders or backgrounds or ethnicities or ages or in different universes and i mean can there be two captain americas i mean you know it kind of goes back to the first question i don't know if this was a part of that first question or just a follow-up but i mean it's this kind of idea if you if you consider steve rogers to be the one and only then obviously you're not going to accept anybody as a successor or as a, you know, parallel, you know, companion Captain America, I guess, you know, at, you know, alongside like, like, like Sam and Steve are now, you know, I, I personally don't have a problem with it. And I don't see, you know, because there's definitely plenty of Marks. There's plenty of Mark Whites. There's even plenty of Mark D Whites out there. Even just in academia, I find other Mark D Whites publishing in chemistry or physics or, you know, and, I, I don't think anyone's going to confuse them. You know, it's not like, you know, for a while, you know, Barry Allen and Wally West were both the flash and basically the same outfit. People could definitely confuse them, but you know, I, I, I think it'd be, it'd be more interesting to consider what people in the Marvel universe think of this. Think of them being, you know, several Spider-Men, several Captain's America, several, you know, Hawkeyes, et cetera. You know, that, I, that's something I, I mean, every once in a while, someone will make jokes about it. Like, you know, how many of you people are there going to be? 
Mm-hmm. But, you know, to have, you know, kind of like it, it'd be a nice to see a, a return to kind of the approach that the Marvel's miniseries by Kurt Busiek and Alec, Alex Ross took, which is really the, 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 the person on the streets view of these people flying around and fighting in the streets. And how does this how does this affect the the average, you know, the average person in the Marvel universe to see what they think of their being, you know, in my day, there was just one Captain America and there's just sure. one Spider-Man. And, you know, now there's just so many and. You know, but again, they're they're all saving lives. You should be happy about that. You know, I totally agree. And and there's, if you want to get into a debate on it, just go to our Facebook group. <laughs> there, there's plenty plenty of yeah. thoughts on the subject. Yeah. All right, so let's get to another topic. Um, we actually had a um, uh, somebody call in and leave a message. This is Capman from the Facebook group. I read your Virtues of Captain America blog religiously, and your appearance on the previous episode is what led me to the podcast. Not long ago, you reviewed Captain America 401, which sums up how the cap of 64 to 95 would react to superheroes believing it's their right to be judged during an executioner. But in recent decades, modern cap has at times used unnecessary lethal force and accepted the use of unnecessary lethal force and torture by others. He's also condoned others using lethal force to spare him from doing so. In your book, you wrote that modern Cap's ethics are more appropriate because now one person has the potential to do much more harm than entire armies. But I wonder, how is this different from many supervillains Cap fought in the 20th century? Also, acting as judge during execution or is illegal, violates human rights, and is immoral regardless of the capabilities of the executed. Do you feel these modern aspects are consistent with the character you've been blogging about so far? So far or is this modern Cap fundamenta- fundamentally an ethically different character? That's a great question. That's a question I, I addressed a little bit in, in my book. Uh, you know, mainly around, I think it dates with, if the first time I noticed it, I think was the first issue of Brubaker's run. I think he and Black Widow, I mean, I'm, I'm probably not getting the details right, like I said, I'm a bad comics geek. But I think he, and no, not, not Black Widow, Sharon Carter, were fighting terrorists on a train or something. Mm-hmm. And they were on top of the train and he was, you know, decking and kicking and hitting people with the shield and there'd be guys falling off the train and obviously dying. And he doesn't, didn't seem overly concerned about it. Uh, yeah. He actually he, he, took his shield and, and tossed it at a helicopter and, and took the helicopter down with the shield. Yeah, so obviously yeah. killing someone. Right. So, I mean, that's the first time I really noticed that, you know, Oh, this is different. You know, he's, he's, you know, more, you know, less careful, more cavalier about this. And then, uh, there was the, the 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 one that really shocked me. Uh, the one that I mean really shocked me was in uh, also Brubaker's Secret Avengers run when they were trying to get information out of somebody, and this may be what the caller meant about torture. Uh, when he he was again, I think with Sharon and Black Widow, and he was you know they're trying to threaten this guy to get information out of him, and he says, "Oh, you're Captain America. You won't do anything." And he says, no, I won't, but I'm going to leave. And I don't know what my friends are going to do, but I'm not responsible for them. And he walks away. And of course the guy freaks out and, you know, and so that, you know, these, these were the instances where he, he, the the caller mentions in my book, I explain um, really what I was trying to do in the book when I explained that was not necessarily justify it because as a, as a reader, I don't like that. I don't, I don't like that cap does that, but I was trying to say, how we can reconcile this change in behavior with his, you know, basic moral code and his acknowledgement that at times he has to compromise 
like like when he he shot the ultimatum agent in issue 322 you know he realized split of the moment he had no other alternative no other option he had to do it and then he tortured himself for issues and issues after that you know i i tried to to kind of reconcile his more modern cavalier behavior by saying he has to make moral compromises more often because the stakes have increased because, you know, people are more, you know, the greater destructive power in the hands of a single person, uh, the tools of terrorism, you know, don't respect traditional rules of engagement and warfare. You know, many more civilians are at danger from just an average guy with a bomb. And, you know, again, that wasn't justifying that to myself because I, I don't like this aspect of the modern Captain America, but I was trying to say there's a way if you take a broader view to his ethics and acknowledge the fact that he does accept regretfully having to make moral compromises on occasion, these modern developments in warfare have, have led him to make these compromises more often. And, uh, you know, in, in ethics, we have this concept called threshold deontology that I talk about in the book quite a bit, which really uh, was introduced into legal philosophy in the context of torture because obviously you know the standard of view is torture is wrong and you don't do it no matter how much good it would do but you know a, a philosopher named michael s moore said well yeah that's fine but if you consider the number of people that are in danger let's say uh, you know that you know a terrorist has put a bomb somewhere and you're trying to get the location out of a terrorist that you've captured and if that bomb is going to kill 10 people, you probably won't torture them. If it's going to kill 100 people, you probably still won't torture them. But if it's going to kill 10,000, 100,000, a million, in other words, how, how high do the potential costs of, of sticking to your moral principles have to go before you decide that cost just makes it you know, foolish to stick to this principle? You know, I talk about this in the, con- in the context of Batman a lot, because obviously this is the way you think about Batman not killing the Joker. And the Joker keeps killing people over and over and over again, hundreds and thousands of people. And, you know, Batman still refuses to kill him, even though he knows and he, he would like to kill him and he knows that killing him would prevent countless deaths, but he still can't bring himself to do it. And, you know... Um, you know, people, and, and the idea is this isn't somebody that just occasionally kills somebody. This is someone who habitually and regularly and, and delightfully kills people and loves to do it and will certainly do it again. So, you know, th- this is the idea. This is the idea we think about when we think about the fact that the stakes for Captain America may have gotten so large that he's accepted the fact that he can't be as careful as he used to be about not killing somebody even though he doesn't intentionally do it, he, he doesn't, he may not regard it as worthwhile to be as careful about not doing it as he used to be. I mean, he used, you know, back in, you know, the, the, the caller referred to the comics that I'm, that I'm discussing now, kind of the classic era of Cap on the blog. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, you know, after Cap defeats somebody, if they're, if they're about to fall over a cliff, he'll save them, even though he just fought them to stop them. And he, he may have beat them up very badly, but, you know, he doesn't want to kill them. So if he sees them falling off the cliff, he'll catch them. Okay. And he, he goes to extraordinary lengths. And usually the villain says, oh, my gosh, Captain America saving me. And I'm like, have you not read this guy's book before? Of course <laughs> he does this, you know. Right. Um, 
so yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm uh, again. I, I think I'm, I don't, I don't want to repeat myself, but you know, I agree with the caller. This is, this is a shift, and the only the, what I was trying to do in the book is kind of reconcile that shift with his use of judgment, and his acknowledge of acknowledgement of having to make moral compromises. It's just he has to make them more often now. Do I like it? No, but I, I think that's a way we can understand this change without having to. Um, without having to say that he's a different moral character. I think it's just his sense of morality has evolved, definitely not for the better, but perhaps justified by changing circumstances. Yeah, I, I think also too, and I, and I think these are great things to consider. Um, and I would agree with you also that he has, has changed. Um, yeah, but when it comes down to it, Right. When we're talking about is Captain America a moral exemplar, right? We 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 talked about that really in detail in the last time you were on the show. When it comes down to it though, it's really about not the character. It's about the person writing the character. Absolutely. And so you had said in the last time you were on the show that you know it kind of started with Stan Lee. I think you referenced the the college I- issue where yeah. Cap goes there and he's with Gene Colner as the artist yeah. and, and Cap goes and he, he starts to question. He's like, you know, these kids need to go back to school. They're, 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 you know, protesting. But then he, he's like, Hmm, maybe they have a point. And then he goes on to say, maybe I should have been listening all along. Right. And you, you pointed to that as being like the first time, where Cap starts to have this this moral ethical center of of really giving you know more thought and, and and but that was Stan Lee. Stan Lee was the person with that message. And then you you referenced your favorite writer and mine too, J. M. DeMatteis. You know he went on to write about Cap a certain way. Uh, in between, Steve Englehart had you know he he brought a lot for. So it's really this this character that we all love and we all trust that is in the hands of these writers but ultimately probably the editors right because i know right. we've had jim shooter on the show he's going on to say i've ha- i and that's why jm damteus left captain america he and jim shooter got into an argument on how captain america 300 was going to go and right. so on and and jim said you know, the character is somebody who's entrusted. I, I feel like my job is like I have these characters that they're entrusted to me and I have to stick to what I think is their core. Is, you know, maybe that core is shifting, right? Uh, because times change, editors change, uh, you know, and therefore writers have more leeway. Maybe that's really what we're seeing here. Yeah, I mean, there's there's two ways to look at it. I, I usually try to look at these stuff from in story, a way to explain the, the, the changes in the universe. But there's also obviously, you know, if you have something that's hard to explain in universe, you usually go back to the writers and editors and the creative teams in general to try to explain them. And say, you know, it's kind of like when people say, why doesn't Batman kill the Joker? I talk about how, you know, he can't compromise his moral integrity by taking a life and everything. And then people come back to me and will say, well, you can't kill the Joker because he's such a great villain and he sells books. 
<laughs> I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, you know, both both are right, but they're just different perspectives. One's in universe and one's out of universe. And I, I prefer to stick in universe, you know, because it's a little more of a challenge, like it, like with the caller's question. How do you make sense of Cap's shifting behavior? I mean, if you just say, well, it's different writers, it's different editors. Well, of course, that's why. But if you trust that these writers and editors are trying to write a consistent character, how can you make sense of this changing behavior in, in you know, the same sense of the character? And that's what I try to do. Yeah, you know, and you're absolutely right. It's a lot more fun that way, Mark. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> let's stay. Let's stay within that. Uh, all right. Well, here's another, and this is a kind of a, I guess a, a more a deep philosophical question. Uh, we have a, one of our, our listeners, Grant Ball, he's uh, one of the patrons of the show. He asks, what does it mean for something to be true in regards to fiction? For example, it would feel untrue to say that Steve Rogers has red hair and green eyes, but since Steve Rogers is fictional, wouldn't that be just as true as saying he has blonde hair and blue eyes? That, that's a great question. Unfortunately, it's a little out of my realm of expertise. I'm mainly a moral and legal philosopher, but I know there's a fascinating literature, which I, I've, I've only scratched the surface of, and I, I don't do it for my work, but just because it's interesting, uh, about the philosophy of fictional characters. Uh, like one topic is the ontology. You know, ontology is the study of, the, of existence, the nature of existence. What's the ontology of fictional characters? Does Batman, do, does Captain America, does Sherlock Holmes, you know, do these characters exist in a real sense? You know, aside from just, you know, obviously they're, they're, they're the, 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 the subject of books and comic books and movies and TV shows, etc. But, you know, these characters also affect people's lives. I mean, Captain America has definitely affected all of our lives. And other superheroes affect other people's lives and other fictional characters. And, and you know, uh, you know, you can't you can't have something affect you and not be real in some sense. They're not corporeal. They're not you know, they're not flesh and blood, but they're they're real in the same sense that an idea like justice is real or love is real or happiness is real. I mean, you know, there it's, it's in the realm of what John uh, philosopher John Searle calls social reality. And social reality, you know, like a, a dollar bill is just a piece of paper, but it has so much more meaning invested in it by the fact that it has this function as money. And that function is just purely social reality. If, if, if a dollar bill landed on another planet, they would think, just think it's a piece of paper with, with green writing on it. So the fact that, that fictional characters don't exist in any corporeal or physical sense doesn't mean they're not real. And I think that, you know, I'm trying to tie this back to the, to the, to your patron's question and, you know, really saying whether, you know, what, what color hair and eyes Steve Rogers has, of course, is determined by the, the creative teams behind the comics, the writers and the artists and the colorists and the editors. And it's really what they've determined these properties to be. So when you say it's, it, would it be true to say that Captain, the, the Steve Rogers has red hair and green eyes? It, you're really more specifically asking: Is Captain America portrayed in the comic books and movies as having, you know, red hair or green eyes? And obviously, he's not. So I mean, when you're it's, when you're referencing a fictional character, you 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 have to reference a certain iteration of them. Now, you know, take James Bond. James Bond doesn't have any consistent hair color or eye color because he's been played by so many different actors. 
I don't know if in the books he does. I haven't read many of the books, or at least not for a long time. Okay. But, you know, that character is is more, I think, more flexible than 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 you know Captain America or, or other most superheroes are. You know, Bruce Wayne always has dark hair. I don't actually don't know. I think he's blue-eyed, but I, I actually couldn't tell you. Okay, and I've read as many Batman books as I have Captain America books. <laughs> But yeah, oh, Captain. But Captain America is the typical, you know, the the the, the picture of of you know, blonde hair, blue eyes, either the all American ideal or the Aryan ideal, as Red Skull would call him. Um, you know, it, it's it's you know, classic based on that. I think you know, I think Natasha Romanov, Romanova has always had green eyes. You know, I, I wish these things were kept more consistent. But, 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 you know, I mean, that's not the point of the patient's question, you know, but I mean, it's, it's a great question, but like I said, it's not, it's not an area of philosophy that I'm very well versed in, but I I think it's a fascinating one because I deal with fictional characters so much. So when I see an article about this, I I love to read it. No, I'm going to, I just want to, I'm going to throw something out here. It's not something I plan to ask, but you got me thinking about something. And I'm wondering if either of you know the answer. Right? Why? Why was Steve Rogers um, created as a blonde hair, blue eye at a time when this Aryan um, model of perfection was, you know, being held up as uh, the the Superman? Right? Uh, and he was created by two, you know, Jewish uh, creators. Um, has anybody ever explored that, that's that? a great question i don't know i haven't i haven't i don't remember reading about that mm. i mean i've read about you know why tony stark was created the way he was created and yeah why the fantastic four are in but no no i mean that's great because that would seem very relevant that, that they're, they're almost playing into maybe maybe they were mocking the the german ideal they're Perhaps. they're saying yeah. to the nazis you know this is your perfect man well now he's going to be the symbol of liberty and democracy you know so take that that may have been why that, but that's pure speculation on my part. No, but I think, I think, I mean, if I had to guess, uh, and it, it is strictly a guess, I, I agree with you, Mark. I, I think, I think you're onto something there as far as, you know, here are uh, two Jewish uh, people who saw the horrors of what was going on over in, in, you know, in Europe and knowing what was going to be coming our way. And this character was created as a, um, someone to you know a patriotic character right so someone who is going to um represent uh america and ideals you're right i i think i think maybe they were done you know a blonde hair blue eye aryan race to say hey listen uh people of germany who who believe a certain way you know what other people who look just like you believe the polar opposite yeah, so it, it probably was something that was yeah, more than you know, just aesthetics. Yeah, more than just the aesthetics of the character. Well, it looks like you've got some homework, Rick. Okay, Bob, thanks for always doing that to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I got another question for you, Mark. Um, so we know that Steve Rogers from time to time has wielded uh, Mjolnir in the comics, right? Thor's hammer. Sure. And of of course, he famously uh, wielded it in the uh, MCU's Avengers Endgame film as well. All right, Mark, before we get into Bob's question, I have to ask you, what was your reaction to that scene in the movie? Oh, my gosh. It was the same as everyone else's. I just my my jaw dropped and I I freaked out. 
And it was it was so well filmed, and you know I love watching the reaction videos online of of movie crowds yeah. watching that because it was just like that. The, the I I saw it on one of the opening nights, not necessarily the first night, but you know one of the obviously opening weekend and packed theater, and everyone just erupted. Yeah, and it was so fantastic. Just this, you know, the, the people talk about the shared experience of the cinema and everything. It was just everyone knew what that meant obviously most of the theater were fans mm-hmm. but they could have been fans of the movies or the comics or whatever but everyone knew what that meant and it was just it was just collective celebration when that happened and i was definitely part of that i still get chills yeah when i, when I especially when you you watch it and the and you hear the audience react yeah. to it I still get chills. I'll just tell you real quick, my reaction. And I think we, you know, I, me and my wife, and my kids, we went on opening night and, you know, as someone, and I had been saying to them for years, you know, he could pick up the hammer, <laughs> right? Cause like, I, I, I'm telling you, I read the comic and he's picked up the hammer. So it, there's that split second when he catches the hammer, right? And there's a split second. If you listen, you know, of these clips online, you you hear a pause and then you hear the crowd erupt. During that pause in my theater, you heard me go, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then the crowd erupt. <laughs> I, mean, I was so excited. But anyway, I'm sorry. I just wanted to get your reaction. No, that's, uh, no I love that. So anyway, Mark, I, I recently read an essay you published in Psychology Today, the online uh, Psychology Today, about how to reclaim your sense of worth after losing it. Uh, I think it was the third issue in a series of three uh, that you wrote about Thor. And, and I, love, I love those posts, um, by the way, and I found them personally useful. Uh, and then you talk about the need for autonomy and authenticity and being able to set one's path in life and the importance of acknowledging one's own unworthiness in the pursuit of worthiness. So uh, maybe another word is humility, having some humility. So how does, how does cap exemplify those and, and, and be worthy of, of lifting the hammer? Well, I mean, those, those posts were based on my, my recent book, you know, a philosopher reads Marvel comics, Thor, if they be worthy. And I'm glad you enjoyed them. And, um, you know, those those really the core of uh, th- that book was based on the the Jason Aaron's recent run on Thor. That was the basis for the the last movie, where where Thor loses the ability to lift the hammer, loses a sense of self worth, and has to reclaim it at the same time that Jane Foster has picked up the hammer and become a Thor on uh, on her by her own right. And you know, I, I I mentioned in that book, I think it was Thor three ninety when when Steve Rogers as the captain lift, lifts the, the hammer for the first time. And he's done it several times since. Um, I, I think he really exemplifies what Thor has to find out about autonomy and authenticity, because if there's one thing that Steve's always been aware of, it's been his mission, his purpose. He's never had doubt about that. He's had doubt about how well it's working He's had doubt about whether it's it's a value in a, in a changing America and, you know, against, you know, especially when political forces are against him and everything. But he, he's never doubted his purpose or and, and, and more to the point, it's a purpose that he adopted on his own. You know, he was he was given the super soldier serum and the Vita rays. He was given the shield and the costume. But but, you know, he didn't say, OK, I'll do this, I guess. You know, he obviously wanted to do this. He wanted to serve his country. 
He wanted to serve the ideals and stand up for liberty and democracy in the American way. And this is just a way that he was given to be able to do this. But he had always, you know, long before he got the Project Rebirth treatment, he wanted to do this. So he was a, a, a you know, the, like I said, Immanuel Kant called it autonomy, choosing your own path in life and hopefully choosing the moral path. The existentialists called it authenticity, John Paul Sartre, uh, talking about creating your own self, you know, deciding who you are going to be. And then, and then again, following that path, those two concepts are very closely related. So I think just in the, like in the same sense of being worthy, you know, Steve Rogers is almost worthy by definition. He is the, the standard that even Thor looks up to. And, you know, it, it also exemplifies those ideals of autonomy and authenticity. Even even when they're beaten down, like I said, by all these uh, all these all these forces working against them, is is Steve's uh, occasional self doubt? I mean, is that is that part of his wor- uh, worthiness? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I, in fact, I was I you know I've, I've done several podcasts about that Thor book, and you know I usually I mention Steve Rogers, especially when I get to the end and where Thor realizes, like you said. That, you know, in order to be truly worthy, you have to recognize your unworth and constantly be struggling to become worthy. So it's like once you once you accept you're worthy, you're not worthy anymore. You have to always be trying to be better. And I say that's Steve Rogers, Mm -hmm. because every time, you know, there's so many times in the comics where Steve Rogers finishes a mission or beats the bad guy or saves the people. And he says, you know, I could have done that faster. I could have done that quicker. That, you know, there's someone got hurt. I could have prevented that. You know, the whole thing was shooting the ultimatum agent. Mm-hmm. I should have found a way to, the, you know, I should have been faster. I should have found a different way to do it. And, you know, he's never satisfied with himself, even though he is, you know, obviously an, a, an amazing hero and he tries harder than anyone else. But he's never satisfied with his own performance. He, and all those Avengers issues, he's always in the gym working out. He's always trying to get a little faster, a little stronger. And he's never satisfied. He's all, and you know, he may go a little too far in that. He may be too hard on himself. But the fact that he's never satisfied, you know, if you ask him, "Are you worthy?" He'd probably say, "Oh no, but I'm working on it." And that is what makes him worthy: the fact that he has that that you know humble approach to it. You know, he doesn't have to say, "No, I'm unworthy," but he says, "Yeah, I'm working on it. Maybe someday I'll be worthy." And that itself is what makes him worthy. And that's kind of the, 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 the paradox of it that resembles some Eastern philosophical concepts. You know, like the, the, the Zen koans of the sound of one hand clapping and stuff like that. You know, you, you're, you're only worthy when you acknowledge you're not worthy. And by acknowledging you're not worthy and struggling to be worthy, that's what actually makes you worthy. And that's what Thor realizes at the end of this run of Thor comics. And, uh, the, and when I get to that point, when I'm discussing Thor, I say this is just like what Captain America does in always trying to be better, even though most people will look at him and say, man, you're, you're fine just the way you are. And Steve, oh, thanks. I appreciate that. But no, I'm going to keep trying to be better. And that's what makes him so awesome. Do you think he has daddy issues? I, I mean, I, he, he, he's, he, he's not, you know what I mean? Like he, he can't. He can't equal up to anything. Like he's always striving to be better. I I I said that kind of half joking, but I don't know. I th- you know if well if anything it'd be his mother. I mean his his father was not an impressive man. His father was an alcoholic, and you know uh, I think in 
but Remender's run, he was portrayed as, you know, hitting, you know, his wife or, or you know, being being mean to her. What, whatever, you know, no matter how seriously we take that, he wasn't a, an, a, an exemplar himself. He wasn't like Paul Kent. You know, sure. he was, he was, you know, but his mother, I think it was something, you know, he looks up to his mother more. And he looks up to his mother, you know, supporting after his father died, supporting him as a single mother, obviously being sick and having to, to, you know, treat her and everything. I think she was more of an example to him, but I, I don't, I've, I've, you know, it's certainly not in the comics. It's never been tr- treated in, in depth that he's got, you know, mother issues or parental issues or whatever. You know, which which admittedly is a rarity for superheroes because, I mean, Thor, you know, the whole basis of Thor is having a father issue, of not being able to satisfy right. this demanding father who is, you know, who embodies this demand of the hammer to prove his worthiness. And it is now in the current Thor comics, the spirit of Odin is actually in the hammer. So he's actually got his dead father talking to him through the hammer while he's using it. Say, no, son, hit him that way. Shut up, dad. I'll do it the way I want to do it. You know, <laughs> I didn't know that. I, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, that actually sounds pretty cool. Yeah. One last question. Um, we had uh, another patron of the show, uh, Aaron Paul. He asks, he says, the, the relationship and interactions between Captain America and Cyclops. Specifically, Scott challenging Steve on his inaction with mutant rights. Uh, in your opinion, do you think Steve has done enough to advocate for mutant rights? Or do you think Scott's claim of inaction is true? Has Cap not shown enough empathy to the mutant experience? I, I can see where he's coming from. I mean, I can see where Scott's coming from, and I'm not a big Cyclops fan. I'm not a huge X-Men fan in general. Just I, I just never got into them like I got into the other the groups. So I, I've liked the, the recent status of them that Jonathan Hickman set up with Krakoa and everything. But I, I really like it when they interact because I almost think of, of, of Cap and, and Scott's relationship if they if they worked on it more in the comics, it's it's kind of like Xavier and Magneto's, you know, where where Cap is almost like the Martin Luther King that's saying, you know, why can't you know the the the, the common version, the common understanding of Martin Luther King, where he's like, you know, let's let's peacefully all try to get along, and you know, with, with and Magneto is more like Malcolm X saying we have to take a more assertive approach to to you know fighting for black equality. And, you know, that's the way that people have typically interpreted Xavier and Magneto. But, you know, you can also apply that, I think, to to Captain America and Cyclops, where Captain America's, you know, taking a more casual approach, saying, you know, if we just if we just work together and try to calm down tensions and, you know, we can come together and we don't have to, you know, use much force. And Scott, of course, is is you know, as he's come into conflict, conflict with Xavier over the years more recently, Scott is also taking the more assertive approach. But, you know, I, yeah, I think he does have a point. I mean, Cap's definitely reached out at times, you know, when he, when he's called to, he'll speak up for mutant rights, just like he'll speak up for women's rights or he'll speak up for, for black rights or gay rights. You know, he, he always does the right thing when he's called on, but I think I think it's just like Sam Wilson criticizes him for. He's not he's not forward enough. He's not assertive enough with actually taking action for these things. He's trying to be everything for everybody, and he's not doing enough for groups that need it more than other people do. 
So, you know, I, I would say I would agree with, with Scott in that, but also I'd say that cap is trying to be everything for everybody. And, you know, he probably acknowledges that he's not doing enough for any one particular person or one, any one particular cause, but he's trying to be everything for everybody. Good point. Uh, and, and this is where I wish I had that, that, uh, innate encyclopedic knowledge of, you know, citing materials. Cause I, I know this topic has come up, uh, whether in Damateus's run and then in Grunewald's run where Steve even questioned himself about, he comes across a mutant and he's like, you know, am I doing enough, you know, for the, you know, maybe it was, was it in, in, in the cap versus Wolverine in annual number eight? I, it was, mm-hmm. is one of these stories, right. Where he, he does, uh, question himself because I think Wolverine, you know, says something to him about anything, but yeah, yeah, I do think it was that one. Yeah. But it, great question by Aaron. And mm-hmm. I, I love your, your response to that, Mark. Um, yeah, well, I mean, you know, also I think of the, the, what was it? The, the unity squad and the uncanny Avengers also a remender book where Captain America puts together an Avengers team with Avengers yeah. and X-Men to try to get them to work together and, you know, try to you know, show the world that they can all work together. I mean, that, that was maybe a rare instance of him actually going above and beyond to do this. That's a great example. I think it was uncanny Avengers, right? Yeah. 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 I think then probably that, I think that was after the Avengers versus X-Men event when, you know, you had a lot of great, you know, head to heads with Scott and Cap. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. <laughs> All right, you know, let's end this with a with a fun a fun question. What you know, no, we don't need to get into serious answers here, but because uh, one of the things that kind of inspired us to reach out to you, Mark, was um, you know we were watching the She Hulk uh, Disney yeah. Plus series, and right. at the end of the ep- first episode, uh, at the end credits, there's there's Smart Hulk sitting there with Jen Walters at at, at his little bar on the beach. <laughs> And they're talking about is Steve Rogers a virgin and they have their own debate. Now that's, that's MCU. Yeah. Right. That's MCU. We're, we love to talk more about the comics here. Um, and, and quite frankly, it doesn't matter. The answer right. to this question, it doesn't matter whether he's a virgin or not. It, who cares? Right. But it's fun to talk about sure. because sure. people, people lost their minds. Yeah. Are, like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Captain America, he has moral and ethics. He would never do that. He wasn't married. And then other people are like, are you kidding me? Captain America's got the super soldier serum going through his blood. You know, he's, yeah, of course he is, you know, you know whatever, you know, and, and I know you've, you've talked about Matt Murdock before. We all know, we all know he's a bit of a yeah. dog, but. Well, yeah, we, yeah. we saw that in the She-Hulk series too. <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a fun question to ask. I, I, is is there a comic book out there? Is there anything that we can cite or relate to and say, I don't know. Yes, I don't know. Maybe I don't know. No. I mean, you know, in in World War Two, before he, you know, went in the ice, I I don't remember any any case of him getting close enough to a woman. I mean, he he interacted with Peggy Carter when he was in France and she was with the French resistance. And that's mainly where their, their background as, as being in love came from. Mademoiselle. And, yeah. Right? Mademoiselle, he didn't, he didn't yeah. even know her name. Yeah. <laughs> and um, then there's that, the adventures of captain America miniseries that, that went back and explored his early days. 
and there was a Lieutenant, I, I just did this a few months ago in the blog, I think Lieutenant Cynthia Glass, that they were attracted to each other, but then she was exposed as a Nazi spy. That may have turned them off, <laughs> anything like that for a while. But, you know, um, I mean, it's, it's. I don't think it, it would necessarily be a sense of morals, though, you know, in the 1940s, you know, premarital sex was much more frowned upon than it is now. And I think he probably would have been a straight arrow as far as that goes. But then again, in wartime, you know, you know, our GIs, you know, they, they were living in hell. They, you know, they, I don't know if the, those, those, those moral or moralistic prohibitions really came to mind as much. I, I, I you know, when I, when I think about it, my head cannon, I, I don't think he did, you know, in the early days. Just because I think even though he was, you know, big buff Project Rebirth Steve Rogers by then, I think inside he was still the skinny, scrawny little Steve Rogers mm. that, that you know, probably never thought girls looked at him, whether they did or not. And and even after he got big and huge and buff. And, you know, we I mean, I remember in the, the first Avenger movie when uh, he gets flirted with by Natalie Dormer's nurse. And I think that was probably the first right. time yeah. that a that mm-hmm. a woman you know paid attention to him, and he was surprised by it. He was like, "Oh, oh, then now, oh, now I realize why." You know, and I think maybe even that that the fact that you know if a woman was attracted to him as Captain America or as the big buff Steve Rogers, he might have that complex where he'd say, "Oh, she only likes me, you know, now because I'm big and handsome," and she wouldn't have liked skinny, scrawny, you know, artist Steve Rogers. And, you know, so, I mean, it's an interesting thought. I, I guess, uh, like I said, in my mind, I don't know if he would have. I don't know if he would have taken the time. I don't know if he would have said, oh, I, you know, I could, you know, I could, I could talk to that, that woman that's smiling at me in the canteen, but, you know, I should go look over battle plans for tomorrow's mission. Hmm. You know. Yeah, and that's then, a good point. And then, you know, in, in the 60s, I, I always got a kick out of how, how in the tales of suspense, you know, somewhere in the eighties when he, uh, in the, the issue issue in the eighties, when he, he meets Sharon Carter. And then I think, you know, before even knowing each other's names, he proposes to her or something <laughs> yeah. like that. It's been a while since I dealt with those, but you know, you've got to wonder where any, any relations came into the picture there, or if that was why I was in such a hurry to marry her. Yeah. It's almost like you could go through each, writer and be like okay um uh, during um Engelhart's run mm, okay maybe not he was more mission centric right de mateus's run with uh bernie, bernie rosenthal. rosenthal you're like hmm, yeah definitely he did have more of a a, a life a social life yeah in de yeah. mateus's run right you know he it seemed at- like a very normal adult relationship too right you know, yeah. then you look at Grunewald's run, you know, eh, he was more of a straight arrow kind of guy. Mm, not sure. But Diamondback. OK, maybe. But then you get to like volume four. Right. And it's Robert Kirkman's writing at the very end. This Avengers disassembled and, and the ends the series with uh, telling Diamondback, hey, how about we go get a room? Right. I mean, uh, I, I, I think it really depends on the the writer and then brew baker is definitely he was practically living with sharon carter 
I mean, there right. was those issues during Civil War where they're basically getting dressed, getting out of bed and getting dressed and arguing about registration. Yeah. Don't forget Connie Ferrari either. During what, yeah. Danny, Dan Jurgens run, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I liked her. <laughs> yeah, she you know, she gets some votes on her Facebook group when we do the who was your favorite. I think it all has to do with when you started reading. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. Right? Yeah, definitely. Like, I, I'm a Bernie guy. You know, because I started reading during Dan Mateus run. Although, I will admit, Sharon Carter probably is the love of his life. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like with with Batman. You know, Catwoman is the love of his life, but I still like him with Talia Al Ghul. Ah, so. And that's the funny thing. We we did talk about that last week. You were always a DC fan until you became an adult, and then yeah. uh, then you yeah. that's when you you came to the right side. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so let's talk real quick about what you got coming up. Cause I know the last time you were here, you talked about how you would someday love to, to take the same steps that you did with Captain America for a fantastic four book. Now we've got a date, February, of 2025. And I have a due date. <laughs> All right. Let's yep. hear it. When's the date? Yep. Oh, it's just the, the end of 2024. Okay. My, my, my publisher, Occam Publishing for those books is, uh, you know, it'll be in the same series with a philosopher reads civil war and a philosopher reads Thor. It'll be a philosopher reads fantastic four. And I've, I've, th- this book has actually been under contract for a while, but it's always been sort of on the back burner because while, you know, we knew there was going to be a movie. I mean, they, they mentioned that at comic-con in 2019, I think they just flashed the four on the screen and in, you know, hall H during the big Marvel, the MCU presentation. So I think as soon as they did that, I, you know, I, the publisher and I, you know, agreed to do that book, but it wasn't until the date was announced, you know, what at this year's comic-con, right. Or, or maybe it was the Disney expo mm-hmm. that we said, okay, now, now, you know, we've got to count a few months back from the movie date and decide when the book's going to be due and now the book's a real thing and so yeah yeah i'm going to be doing a a full-length treatment of the fantastic four like i did for captain america that will be exciting i know that's going to be a big love of yours because you've been a big uh, fantastic four fan for a while Uh, and i would love to hear your thoughts on dr doom and you know his uh Oh his, yeah, yeah. His ethics, his morals. Oh, definitely. Uh, you know, we're. I mean, we're, it'll definitely, it'll definitely be, you know, a, fo- a big focus of the book. I mean, it'll be a, you know, the book will focus on five people, so it'll, it'll be the the four and Doom. I mean, they're they're, and they're Herbie the robot, right? Herbie the robot. <laughs> that, that'll be the follow up. That'll be the sequel. <laughs> I got to save room. <laughs> uh, anything else on the horizon? Um. In in terms of superheroes, uh, I am trying to finish. Uh, a, you know, again, this is one of the things I have to do before I can really dedicate myself to the Captain America second edition. I'm you know since they announced the return of Daredevil, uh, Daredevil is actually the first Marvel character I got into. Uh, again, because of Ed Brubaker, you know, mm-hmm. so uh, I followed him over. He I loved his book Gotham Central with with. Uh, Michael Lark at DC. And so when he, when they both moved over and started doing daredevil, I decided to start reading these weird Marvel comics and, you know, and you know, the, the, the rest is history, but um, I'm, I'm working actually right now uh, or, you know, in the morning, at least on a, a short, you know, the, the Thor book was a short book. We, we call it novella length. 
Uh, I'm working on a short book, hopefully the first of three, about Daredevil focusing on the early years up through Frank Miller's run. Oh. So up through Born Again, which, of course, is the subtitle of the upcoming Daredevil series mm-hmm. on Disney+. Plus. So, you know, I don't know how much they're going to stick to the story, but I, I want to show in the book how, you know, the, the early characterization of Matt Murdock and Daredevil developed because it's, 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 it's fairly accepted in Daredevil circles that, you know, Frank Miller established who Matt Murdock and Daredevil is. And ever since then, everyone's been writing Frank Miller's Daredevil. And actually, the way I read it, it you know, Frank Miller didn't change him so much as he, 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 he settled him, he solidified him. He took all these, these kind of, you know, characterizations that were kind of in the air in the early comics, and he kind of finalized what Daredevil was going to look like. So it's not like you have the first 180 issues, and then you have Frank Miller as a completely different thing. Frank Miller just kind of nailed down who the character was based on all this early material. So I think it's much more of a development than it's usually described as. And mm. so that, that's what I'm going to be exploring, all these basic elements of Matt Murdock that were really there from the beginning, but, but that Frank Miller put together in its, its final accepted form. Well, you, you just got me excited. I don't know if you know this about me. My second favorite character is Daredevil. Oh, great. So I, uh, I may just have to pick up one of these things uh, that has words and no pictures and, uh, and check that out. Um, and speaking of checking out, I highly suggest everybody go to uh, uh, it's professormdwhite.com, but it's professor, P-R-O-F, mdwhite.com. So you can check out uh, all of his works on there. Plus he has links to his blogs and some other things in his social accounts. I follow him on Twitter. Uh, I get pictures of his uh, of, of animals and scenery all the time. Uh, he likes to tweet those. So uh, anyway, check, check that out, that website. I, I highly recommend uh, and, and check out his other books too, because not only a professor of philosophy, but he's uh, one heck of a, a writer as well. He, he digs well, in to a lot thank of things. You. So I appreciate that. Absolutely. Uh, it's been fun wrapping cap with you, uh, Professor White. Thank you for coming on the show. Oh, it's hopefully, been a great time. Thank you for having me again. Hopefully it will be another year and a half before we have you back. Uh, but uh, we, we would certainly love to have you again. Sure. Take care, Mark. Bye, guys. All right, Bob. So, uh, yeah, you know what? It was great having Mark White on the show. Um, you know, I, I, I remember when we, we first talked to him in episode 30, uh, we had a blast. We had a great time. And we were like, he was like, yeah, I totally want to come back. And then uh, here it is a year and a half later. It took took a while. But you you, you know what? You put me on the spot uh-huh. when you yeah. were introducing him. You're like, have we had any guests uh, return? And we did, right? Because we had um, Jason Olson. We did. You're right. Just recently. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. had Jason Olson. Another That's author. Right. Another author. Another author of. of uh, professor. Yeah, exactly. And so only only the academics want to come back to us. So we must be too highbrow, Bob. That must be it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that that's it. Although <laughs> I, I will say we are getting to the end of the first arc of Captain America: um, Sentinel of Liberty. We did say we'd have Jackson and Colin back on the show at the yeah. end of the first arc. So I'll have to reach out to them to see if, see if we can get them back on the show. I would love that. I missed them last time. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, you in a, in a hundred and some episodes, you only missed two. Yeah, and they were both interviews. They're both good ones too. Yeah, 
oh, well, you know, it could have been better if you were there. Well, you know, still, still, uh, still worth listening to without me, folks. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, all right, Bob. So what are we going to cover next? What should we get to? Um, oh, yeah, that's right. If you come back um, next episode, 109, we're actually going to get into the uh, book that uh, Professor White mentioned while here on the show. It is Captain America 401, came out in June of 1992. So we are kind of continuing our streak, right? So episode 105 was the 60s, 106 was the 70s, 107, the 80s, and now we're back to the 90s. And what is it about 401? If you recall, when we were talking with Professor White, this was the aftermath of the Galactic Storm uh, crossover with the Avengers, where in Cap's mind, the Avengers kind of crossed the line. And so this is a very... Uh, retrospective um, issue where where Cap kind of uh, goes through, you know, and he questions things, you know, his his place on the team. And it's a great issue by Mark, Mark Grunewald that uh, we'll cover. Yeah, it is. I mean, Mark talked about this, right? I mean, uh, Cap is a very self-reflective, self-critical individual. And, and you could argue, and somehow, that perhaps he's too self reflective and too self-critical right because yeah. you can't you can't cross that line where it becomes not productive anymore as a learning experience so i'm sure we'll talk about this uh when we review that that issue yep so come back uh for episode 109 where we get to captain america 401 all right bob confucius say men who have last laugh not get joke <laughs> oh my gosh you have so many hidden talents my friend. uh i know i know uh anyway i i know bob you always get the joke which is why i love having you on the show <laughs> it's always been fun wrapping cap with you and waxing poetic and philosophically with you bob it's always a blast that's it wax on wax off my friend <laughs> oh my god i gotta tell you a quick story all right so uh i where i work i, I work in a you know a fortune 100 company it's it's very uh pc very um you know it's 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 a large company so you have to kind of watch what you do right and, uh -huh. and, and it's great i i love working at this company don't get me wrong however uh, sometimes my sense of humor <laughs> maybe comes out and I'm, I'm standing in, in the kitchen with someone, uh, and this lady and we're talking and she's talking about, um, and we're roughly the same age and, and she's talking about, um, karate kid. And, uh, you remember when we were kids and when karate kid came out and we would stand in front of the mirror in that crane pose, uh -huh. you know, with our arms out and our knee up and, and everything. We'd kind of like, you know, do that. And I'm like, I don't know. Back when I was a teenager and I was in my bedroom, I was too busy waxing on, waxing off. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I swear, I thought, I thought like HR was going to like, just come out. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes, that's a very rarefied sense of humor that probably a lot of folks uh, yeah, would, didn't pick up on. But, uh, uh, but you get me, Bob. You oh, get yeah, me. I get you. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, he's Bob Lucius. I'm Rick Rabanis. And you have been listening to another episode of the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. All right. This one is not for the air. But this uh-huh. one's just for you. All right. Because I figure if anybody would appreciate it, it would be you. Confucius say, sex is like the army. The closer you are to discharge, the better you feel. <laughs> My wife's going to love that one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I thought you'd like that one. Yeah, she'll love that one too. She was in the Navy, so. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) (laughs) Here's a good one. Confucius say, it take many nail to build crib, one screw to fill it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, these are awesome. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.